This is the Do It Scared podcast with Ruth Sukup, episode number 67. On today's episode, we are talking with podcaster, influencer, and best-selling author Jordan Lee Dooley about owning your everyday and overcoming the pressure to prove. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and each week on the show, we will talk about how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and most importantly, how to take action and create a life you love. Today's episode is brought to you by the Living Well Planner. I know that sometimes it can be hard to know exactly how to apply the lessons you're learning through this podcast on a practical daily basis, but the Living Well Planner is the tool that was created to help you do exactly that. It is the only planner out there designed not just to keep you organized and help you keep track of your schedule, but to actually help you proactively identify your biggest goals and then stay focused on them all month long. It doesn't just help you get more done, it helps you get the most important stuff done. And that is ultimately what will make all the difference. And right now, you can take advantage of our lowest price of the year on the Living Well Planner during our semi-annual sale. You'll find it at livingwellplanner.com. But don't wait. This offer is only available for a limited time and only while supplies last. Once again, you'll find it at livingwellplanner.com. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. As always, my name is Ruth Sukup, and I am the founder of Living Well Spending Less and the Living Well Planner, as well as the founder of Elite Blog Academy and the New York Times bestselling author of six books, including my newest book, Do It Scared. In today's episode, we are going to be chatting with Jordan Lee Dooley, host of the wildly popular She Podcast, as well as the author of the new book, Own Your Every Day overcome the pressure to prove and show up for what you were made to do. And I love that because ultimately that's exactly what this podcast is all about. It's about having the courage to hold up a mirror to ourselves and to where we might need to grow in order to make the necessary changes that will allow us to create a life we love. Because in the end, courage doesn't mean we're never afraid. Instead, courage is being scared, but taking action anyway, despite our fear. It's putting one foot in front of the other, even when we're not quite sure where the path is going to lead. All right, so just a couple more quick things before we dive into today's episode. First, as always, you can get all the show notes for this episode by visiting doitscared.com slash episode 67. Once again, that's doitscared.com slash episode 67. And while you're there, if you haven't already, be sure to take our free Do It Scared Fear Assessment to find out exactly how your unique fear is manifesting in your life, as well as what you can actually do about it. Also, if you have any questions or you just want to share feedback on this episode, you can send me a message on Instagram or shoot me a quick email. I will actually be starting a segment very soon where I answer all those questions here on the show, so please do not be shy about sending them in. And now, without further ado, here is the very lovely Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Jordan. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so fun to be here. And since we're doing this, I guess no one on the podcast would know, but a little bit on video, it's nice to see you face-to-face as well. (laughs) 
I know. It, I always like to record these face to face, but then sometimes I forget that um, people can't see me nodding right. because I'm like usually so into what people are saying that I'm like nodding emphatically. And then I feel the need to like make a sound or something. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. Nobody knows that I'm agreeing with this wholeheartedly, but yeah, it's really funny. You forget, you forget when you're, so just so you know, if you're listening to the podcast, we do re- record these on video. Mm-hmm. You're missing out on the video. <laughs> All right. Well, there are so many things that I want to talk to you about today from imposter syndrome, to overcoming perfectionism, to moving past comparison, all things that you talk about in your new book, which is amazing, by the way. But let's just start at the beginning for listeners who don't know you, aren't familiar with you. Um, Can you just maybe give us the broad overview of your journey, who you are, what you do, and how you got to be doing what you are now? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Jordan Lee Dooley, as you have already said, but um, I started my journey back in college. I started a little Etsy store really as a hobby. I was not super excited about my career track, about where I was headed based off of what I was studying, but I was at the end of college. I had like a year left, less than a year left, and I thought, well, it's too late to change, but my mom had given me some really great advice and she basically told me, hey, just try some stuff. Like you don't have to quit school or, you know, figure it all out in the next year, but maybe give yourself a little room to try something that you love, to try something creative. And so I was like, all right. So eventually after trying several things, it led to starting a small little Etsy store that last year. And um, I was in a sorority house. And so we would have like parent weekends or, you know, sorority sisters would have an older sister getting married. And so I was doing a lot of hand lettering. So I would make signs that you would see at a wedding or, you know, um, like stationary, things like that. So I would get asked to do these little projects. And so that was what led to going, you know, I'm going to make a little Etsy store online because I've been doing this, you know, just for fun. And then um, my husband, who I was dating at the time, also made that suggestion. So that led to then getting into the online world. You know, Etsy was kind of an emerging marketplace online. And I wasn't even really familiar with what that was. But I thought I'll go for it anyway. And um, learned a little bit about how you can like do something on Facebook too. And how you can like Instagram was starting to be up and coming. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to put everything. So what year, what year was this? That was. What year was this? Yes. So that was January or February of 2015. So I was just wrapping up school. Um, and that was when I decided, you know what? I'm going to get on this. So Instagram had been around for maybe a year and a half at that point, I think. I think it came out in 2013. Is that, is that right? Maybe? I don't know exactly, but I know it was somewhat early. Like I hadn't really done a whole lot. I had used it a little bit for personal use, but it was still pretty unfamiliar to me. So um, all that to say, I was like, well, I'm going to try sharing it on there. And then when I was still in this, in this, you know, sorority house, my senior year of college, um, I had a couple of friends volunteer to help. They were like, Hey, we can, you know, help package and stuff. So we would sit on the floor in this creepy storage closet And we would package these things and send them out. And we had these great conversations. And the reason that part of the story is so important is because we would get to talking about life and dreams and insecurities and personal things and, you know, career and all the things. And I would start sharing those stories in captions with a picture of my product. Well, then my pages started to grow because there was the sharing factor that was happening. Women were connecting with the content, not just the image of a journal or a canvas. And so I started to notice and kind of pay attention to the market. And I'm like, they really do seem to connect with content that speaks to relevant issues in their life. And so for a little while, I stewarded that. And, you know, that's kind of what set me onto a journey of really being a content creator and a speaker and an author and a podcaster and small business owner. I have 
did a little bit of photography for a while and I did some social media management for a while, just really refining those skills. I had a variety of little entrepreneurial adventures over the last five years Mm -hmm. that have, I think really as random as I look back, I'm like, that seems so random. I did photography for a year, you know, but a lot of it had to do with my husband was trying to pursue the NFL. So our life was kind of all over. I needed flexible work and I was very creative. And so as random as it all seems, I was like, man, all those little things I tried really set me up for success in this season where I'm really now a full blown content creator, podcast podcaster, speaker, and author, um, because I learned all those skills of marketing online and creating, you know, content that connects and taking photos, like doing all of it. So the multi-passionate part of me uh, has made it for a very non-linear journey. I don't know how you go from Etsy store to author, but sometimes you do. And um, I really think, you know, yeah, it does. And it wasn't random. I mean, it was, but it all kind of worked out. So that's a little bit about my journey. And now I do all this stuff. (laughs) I love that. Well, I mean, it, but it's actually like a fairly typical online journey because that's the thing. Like you start doing something that excites you or you're passionate about kind mm-hmm. of on the side, just like I'll try this out. It's yeah. low risk and you start paying attention to what is resonating with people and what's ha- – and I mean, that's exactly – I teach – so I teach a course called Elite Blog Academy, a program called Elite Blog Academy where I teach people how to create their own successful online businesses. And pretty much exactly what you did is what is sort of what I teach people to do. You got to start by refining your message. You have to start by figuring out who it is that you're talking to and what is going to resonate with them before you can figure out all of the other stuff. And it sounds like you're figuring out all of the other stuff too. And a lot of times you're for a long time as an online entrepreneur, or maybe any entrepreneur for that matter, you're in this throwing spaghetti up against the wall phase that I call it, like where you're just trying the things, yep. all the things. You're testing and, figuring and you're out proving. What's going to work? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And now you've built this pretty amazing business and this amazing book. And I just want to say, first of all, I think sometimes when you watch people, when we watch people from afar, and I would think that you could speak to this. But or we see them on Instagram and we see all these things. And, you know, you talk about like how all of this has built since 2015, which probably at the time felt like forever. But when you look back in hindsight, you're like, oh, that I probably wasn't actually that long. It wasn't. <laughs> and, it, and it just seems like so magical mm-hmm. and glamorous. But what does that actually look like for you on a daily basis? How do you juggle all this different stuff and still keep it real? Yeah. Um, honestly, I just try to keep a very grounded perspective. You know, when you like have a birthday and someone's like, so how do you feel being another year older? It's like you might, you don't really feel any different, you know? And so I've had people ask like, well, how does it feel to be a best-selling author? I'm like, honestly, I don't feel any different other than like, it's exciting. But I think to kind of take all these things with a grain of salt and remember like at the core at the end of the day, I don't really get to take any of this with me. So the impact I make along the way and the connection I can create is what matters most. And so I, and that's like not natural for me because I'm an achiever. I'm an Enneagram three. I am like, give me all the accomplishments. Like that's how I naturally am driven. I'm not really money driven and I'm not really, I'm, I'm more accomplishment driven. So that's my nature. And so that in some ways is really good because it allows me to kind of just go for things. But at the same time, you know, a discipline that I've really been implementing is just remembering what ultimately matters and what what's lasting. And so that really helps me, I think, just in that regard. But from a daily basis, I mean, I'm literally sitting here in Nike shorts and like a shirt that I slept in, which is really fancy. Um, It's fine. But you know, it's like, <laughs> I, it's not glamorous. My husband and I turned our guest bedroom into our office space. And we have an assistant that works with us. I have a couple of contract. She's a contractor. And I've got a couple of um, people who help with a couple other areas like, you know, book writing and whatnot. But 
you know, it's not like we have like this huge, like fancy office building, you know, it's like, it's very, it's very grassroots and it's been successful thus far, but we tried a lot of things and we're really finding our lane, I think a lot more recently. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, I still like spend half the day, like the most interesting thing about my normal day is like the four chickens that peck around my yard, you know? So I just try to give a real perspective, like, (laughs) It's the same, you know, I think we're all the same and we sometimes forget that yeah. we might just be in different points of the journey. So it's, it's yeah. pretty, it's just Indiana. <laughs> I just live in Indiana. It's nothing. Yeah. Fancy, but. Well, and you've probably, you've been working like, and you've been working and hustling and doing all this stuff your whole life. Like, and since you started your business four years ago or five years ago, you've been hustling and now all of a sudden, like it's all culminating. And I don't know if you feel like this, but I remember feeling like this when my first book came out, which was probably like it was actually before I think you even started your business. I feel like an old lady. You're not, you're not. Um, I, just, I, I totally just started, am. I could be your grandmother. I started, in, I started in college though. That's the thing. I started my last year of college. So yes. most people start like seven yeah. years into their normal career, 10 years into their normal career. So I just kind of jumped on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we won't talk about how much older I am than you, but I could I could probably at least be your mother, but maybe I your that, grandmother. But no, I'm just kidding. I would never um, guess. But I do remember after my first book came out where I had been kind of the same point, like I had been hustling at that point for about four years and working my butt off. And I too am an Enneagram three and such an achiever and like wanting to make it work and doing all the things and trying to figure it all out and trying everything to figure out what was going to work and what was going to stick. And then my book came out and it felt like all everything just kind of culminated and all of a sudden it like put me on the map. And I don't know if you feel the same way where it was like, all of a sudden people started noticing that I was around and that I had and that and I existed. I, yes, that I existed. <laughs> and I remember being on interviewed for a podcast. I don't remember whose it was now, but he he was specifically like, Man, you know, I just I see you everywhere. And it's like you're this overnight success. So tell me about this overnight success. How does it feel? And I was thinking, man, like this is not overnight success. Like it takes a long time, no matter where you are and who you are and and like what you perceive from the outside. And I think it's so important for anybody who's watching or listening right now to think about that. Like if you're going after a big goal in your life or you're going after something or you're you're looking at other people who are achieving stuff and thinking, man, it's so easy for them. And I wish that I could do that, but man, it just happens so easy. Like you don't get to see all the sweat and tears and, and heartache that goes into building a business. Like you don't get to see all the hard part. All you ever get to see is like the point of where it finally culminates. And I promise you, like you keep working and that will happen for you too. So that was just my little, little pep talk. No, I'm so glad you said that because I mean, that's so true. I mean, the first, I, I finally started to own my own story. I think this is really key to put out there in kind of tandem with what you just said, because for a long time, I was like, this is so embarrassing. Like, I want to be an author. I thought I was like, all I wanted to be was an author and speaker, but then I realized I'm way too entrepreneurial. Like, I feel like I have to have some sort of entrepreneurial like product going or something. But, um, you know, I thought that was the goal for me because that sounded like flashy or fancy or something. And um, so for several years, as I was working toward that goal and hoping to, you know, write a book and doing things like that, once I realized that after a little while during my journey, as 
my shop kind of evolved into a blog, you know, and so I was writing a lot and it led to that dream. But, you know, for a while, I never talked about the beginning of my story. Like people would ask, how did you start? And I was like, oh, I started a blog and da, 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 da. And I never actually went all the way back to the beginning. And I was like, it was scrappy. I was packaging like mugs into tiny boxes on a cold tile floor and like paying all my roommates in free pizza. Like, you know, it just, and then, and it's up until that point. I mean, there's been, it's been so nonlinear and there's, I'm like, Hey, if you've been following me for four years, you probably remember my photography business back in 2015 and 2016 that I like tacked on as soon as I decided to close the shop for a little while. Cause it was early in 2015 that I ran that, you know? And so I'm like, they've all watched this. And for so long, I was like, I probably look like a crazy person as my audience <laughs> has continued to watch this journey with me. And it was so embarrassing for me. I was like, I want to look mm-hmm. like I know what I'm doing, but I totally don't know what I'm doing. And I yes. feel like even just within the last year, I've started to, it's all started to kind of click and like all the hustle and the seemingly random endeavors that all kind of led to this, they weren't random, but I didn't own that story and put it out there from the beginning until I wrote it into the book. And I was like, and that's what everyone's grabbed onto. Like, wait, you started in college. Like, wait, go back, tell us this. So it's interesting how the things we think are embarrassing or the things things we think are insignificant or small or random are sometimes the most powerful parts of the whole story once you kind of can like come up for air and look at it from a 30 foot view. So. Oh, that's so true. It's such a good point. I know I, when I started my business, I was a stay at home mom of two little kids and this was in 2010. And I started blogging about mostly about couponing. I started my blog, Living While Spending Less, and I was going to the grocery store with my two kids in the shopping cart and doing YouTube videos about how to how to use coupons, which was, you probably don't remember this because you were like in high school back then, but couponing was really big for a while. Hey, my mom couponed all the time, so I am very familiar. <laughs> That's funny. Oh now my gosh, I feel so old. <laughs> You're but, not old. But... But ex- but that is kind of the same thing. Like now everything yeah. that I talk about and blog about like really has nothing to do with those topics and it's evolved so much. And if but I do have so many people who listen to this podcast or who are part of my my blogging program or who use my planner that found me because of those YouTube videos where I was talking about coupons, even though I haven't made a YouTube video in yep. nine years. So it's it's just amazing how like people will grow and evolve with you. And I think that that also should give you just the freedom if you're trying to think of like what you want to do. Just start with where you are right now. Start with what's interesting or what you have or what you think you can do. And watch what happens because the the thing about that is every time you try something, you build up a little bit of courage and you build up the ability to dare to try something else until it finally, it until it finally all fits together and the pieces fit together. And sometimes it takes a really long time. So I love talking about, I love talking about that journey, but let's talk about your book because your new book is called Own Your Every Day. And it is about overcoming the pressure to prove, which we're sort of talking about a little bit right yeah, now, seriously. and just showing up for what you were made to do. And I love, I love that. So what inspired you to want to even write this book in the first place? A couple of things. Um, I would say three major things. One, I know myself as an achiever and as someone who does want to make their own way, but even as someone who might not, I know we women feel the pressure to prove a lot. I've spoken on college universities everywhere from Berkeley to Ole Miss to Wisconsin and everything in between. I've spoken at entrepreneurs conferences. Like I feel like I've been exposed to women in different parts of the country with different backgrounds, different career plans. And every single time I go, I often feel like there's this, like I've even had many come up to me and share like, I'm just trying to do it. I'm trying to make a way. I feel so much pressure. 
And so I started to kind of want to know where that was coming from, because simultaneously at the same time, this other word was coming up, which was purpose. I had a lot of people asking me, and they weren't just college girls. I have like, a, you know, a following of everywhere from 18 to 34 is kind of my core. And it's it's a little, you know, it kind of varies. But a lot of women in that 20 something and 30, even early 30s, the question is, how do I figure out what I'm supposed to do? And what was interesting is then I started getting, I don't know why I'm like, I'm not the purpose guru. I don't know why everyone's asking me this, but I felt like a lot of people had started <laughs> to ask me, like, it was interesting. I had women who were like, Hey, my kids just left for college. And I don't know what my thing is outside of being a mom or, Hey, I've been a wife and, you know, working part-time, but I really want to find a thing that lights me on fire. How do you find your purpose? How do you find what you want? Like what you're made to do It's like, I, how do you figure out your life? And it wasn't just the college girls, or it wasn't just the moms. It was like all these different seasons. I think depending on the changes and the transition we're experiencing, it becomes this new question of like, well, what do I do now? And so I started to notice that was a really recurring question while simultaneously seeing like this recurring pain point of like, I want to figure that out, but I also feel a lot of pressure to prove myself. So then I'm like, I started asking my audience, do you feel the pressure to find your purpose or to figure out or go after your dream? And there was a lot of like, yeah, I've never like worded it like that, but I actually kind of do. So that was like kind of my own experience of feeling like I struggle with pressure to prove paired with those questions and pain points. And then really also really paying attention to what was already out there. So I was like, there's so much messaging and so many messages for women, young women, women in their careers to go after it, to find their thing, to not stop till they get to the top, to chase the dream like that. All. And it's like super for a three. I'm like, yes, let's do it. You know, <laughs> but at the same time, I felt like I felt a little bit underserved because I was like, well, I'm still the one chasing like a photography business and an Etsy store and trying to speak and doing this. Like, what if I don't know what my dream actually is? Like, I have these mm -hmm. ideas, but I really struggle with unfigured out dreams. Or I thought this was my dream. Like, we thought our dream was my husband playing in the NFL. And when he got released a week before our wedding, we were like, well, now what? And then we tried to train. And then he ended up getting emergency surgery and was out for eight weeks. And we were like, okay, closed door. Like that was a really critical time. And so I really wanted to speak into this idea of finding what it is that really lights your soul on fire and what you're really made to do, even just where you are with what you have, kind of like what you said, without the pressure to prove and even shifting our perspective on finding our purpose, because I don't believe it's lost. So I was like, maybe we need to spin that a little differently and realize like it's already there. So you're not like on an endless quest and hoping a position will give it to you or a certain like job will give it to you. And I think that helps take the pressure off a little bit. So that was kind of the three core reasons to really it. serve a felt need in that way. I love it. I love it. And I love, I love the way that you wrote the book too, because it's just so conversational and you share so many stories that are, you know, it's just easy. It's easy to read and easy to relate to. Um, and one of the things that you talk about in the book is imposter syndrome which I we've already kind of a, like just skirted around a little bit, but I think it's just something yeah. so, so many people struggle with, especially if you're out there, if you are an achiever and you're trying to do big things in your life and mm -hmm. you're trying to go after these big goals and dreams. So can you just talk a little bit about that? What does imposter syndrome really actually mean and what can we do about it? And how has that looked in your own life? So a couple of things. Um, one thing is what it, I think what imposter syndrome really means is to kind of feel like a fraud. Like that phrase, fake it till you make it. I'm kind of like, I don't really, I have a love-hate relationship with it. Like <laughs> I get the meaning, but I'm like, I think that actually creates imposter syndrome because you're trying to front and act like you know what you're doing when in reality, you really don't know what you're doing. And so, I mean, personally, having started so early in my life, having started, you know, the entrepreneurial track and building a brand in college, literally. I mean, it makes me super insecure when I'm talking with women who have 10 times more experience because I'm like, oh, like, yeah, I really don't know. 
And I can immediately, like, I don't know, this is my first book and you are more experienced and it can be super insecure for me. And so I kind of have to own that a little bit. Um, but one big thing that's helped me over the last couple of years is I've really started to notice like that's a major insecurity for me, even though it shouldn't be. Um, Cause I don't think it's like your opportunity should not be confined to an age, but you know, all that to say still being somewhat early in my life. Um, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, this is so weird. I feel the most like, I feel like the most conflicted person because half my friends aren't married. They're like still figuring out their careers. And I'm over here like trying to keep up a mortgage and a business and a marriage. And like, I just feel like, where do I fit? You know, so imposter syndrome can really come up in those places. Um, and so for me, one thing I found is maybe if I just stop faking it until I make it and actually chose to be coachable and was like, actually, I really don't know that much. Can you teach me? Like, what have you learned? You know, it actually takes a lot of the pressure off to pretend that I know something I don't. I mean, there are things yeah. I know, but when I get into those places that are a little bit new or unfamiliar, like launching a book, like actually reaching out to women who have launched four books or two books or, you know, connecting and saying, hey, I'd love to just learn from you or how can I support you, you know, and offering both support and being willing to be coachable. I think that mm -hmm. earns a lot of respect, regardless of your age or regardless so of how true. much experience you have. So I think so the way true. we deal with it is we kind of let our walls down and we be coachable. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It actually reminds me so much of another guest that we had on the podcast. Um, I don't know if you've heard of her, Kat Cole. She was- um, Sounds familiar. Yeah. She's the CEO of, I forget the brand food. It used to be, it's like the parent company of Cinnabon and Moe's. Oh, and, wow. Like she's, and she worked her way up from being a Hooters waitress. Like she started wow. at Hooters as a waitress and became, you know, like got promoted to manager management and then went to the corporate office and worked her way up. Mm -hmm. Like amazing story of, wow. of success, but also just like grit and toughness and mm -hmm. not having a, you know, not having a college degree even because she dropped out of college yeah. to take the corporate job. And, um, but she said the exact same thing. She talked about how you have to just be humble enough to ask a lot of questions and to always be learning and to be like confident, confident on the one hand, confident in, in making decisions, but also humble enough to just continue asking, 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 realizing there's so much that you don't know. And when you can approach life that way, I think it really does make such a huge difference because it's true. Like 100%. we all feel that way. We all feel like we don't know what we're doing. And I, I actually use the phrase, fake it till you make it a lot, but I've never really thought of it in that sense that it can actually be harmful and I love, I love the way that you just kind of approach it from a- I always say, I have, I've heard it said, like, I still, to some degree, I'm also there. Like, sometimes you do just have to own it and go, okay, I'm just going to go for it anyway. So it's not yeah. to say it's a bad thing, but I've been like, I've been trying to say like, okay, fake it till you make it. Like, have faith that the right thing will work out exactly how it's supposed to. Um, I think it's just, it's a different spin on it. It's not saying like, don't keep going for it. It's not to say like, don't take big steps into the unknown. Like, it's the same intention, but I think it's instead of trying to pretend that you know something you don't, it's more like- actually just own that you don't know it and have faith that it'll work out anyway and then show up yeah. accordingly. So Yeah. And I think, you know, I think sometimes it can be a double-edged sword that we have access to so much information. You know, there's so many podcasts yeah. out there. Yeah. There's so many people that are talking about entrepreneurship. There's so many people that are talking about goal setting and personal development and all these things that you could be doing. Like the opportunities are endless. And I feel like it's an exciting time because there's so much that you can do. There's, it's just out there. Like the opportunities are there and just start grabbing them. But then you start listening to all mm -hmm. these people and you're like, who do I listen to? And wait, they're doing such a, be mm -hmm. a better job. And surely there can't be room mm -hmm. for me here too. And I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not quite there yet. So it's like this, this fine line you have to walk between taking advantage of all the information that's out there and then 
not being overwhelmed or intimidated by it. Right. Absolutely. And I think also finding your unique angle, like that's what I'm talking about too. I mean, me walking into kind of the personal development space as I wrote a book, I'm like, you know how many personal development authors there are that are 10 times more experienced, probably way fancier and actually know what they're doing? A lot. <laughs> I was like, but maybe, maybe if I found a unique angle that I feel like maybe isn't being served or being talked to in that way, and maybe even what maybe my advantage and my cutting edge advantage is that maybe I am a little bit younger than the majority of those, not so much younger that I don't know anything, but enough to be like, hey, I'm going to offer a little bit different perspective because I'm in this transitional awkward time where because I'm here as much as it's my weakness, it can also be my power because I realized I'm still trying to figure out how you balance when you have friends who have three toddlers. And on the one hand, you also have friends who still go out at 11 p.m. and you're like, that's when I go to bed, you know. And then be married and there's all these weird seasons of life and transition. So I'm like, I can speak to that, you know, like I'm not established mm-hmm. in the same house for the last 10 years. And so, you know, it's just navigating that season of life in the 20s and 30s as you're establishing yourself in the world. It's like, that's the angle and add in this term of unfigured out dreams and like kind of the pre before you go for the dream. Speaking into that is my unique angle. So I always encourage people, not just that you have a unique voice, because you could say the same thing and it'll sound different than someone else, um, but also finding a little bit of your own unique angle really makes a difference. And I think it gives you the confidence to go for it. I love that. So another topic that you talk about in your book and that you address that I just, I feel like it's such an important topic is the idea of shame and how to move past it. So can you talk a little bit about what that has looked like in your own life and how have you worked through it? Yeah. I think shame can come in so many forms, but I think it ultimately is that feeling of like wanting to hide something and me being an achiever and very image conscious as a three, I never want to be the girl who needs help and I never want to be the girl who has a problem. So one, like the, the example that I highlighted in the book was back when I was in college before I ever started my business. Um, and I really wanted to set out to get in shape. And I also was really grieving the loss of a family member that I had lost that was very close to me. So kind of in the grieving process, I thought if I just set out to achieve a goal, it would like make all the pain go away. So I was deci- I decided I'm going to train for a half marathon. And the actual half marathon fell on the same week of the, um, of the day that my grandmother passed away. So... I was like, I'll do this in honor of her life, you know, but at the same time, there was this other motive of like, and I also want to get really skinny. I wasn't overweight. I just needed to get really skinny for some reason. So I was training like crazy, but I wasn't replenishing because I became very obsessed with calorie counting, all that, you know, it was just a very unhealthy thing for almost a year. And finally ran the half marathon. I think it was kind of my way of controlling something after going through both a breakup and the loss of a loved one, kind of feeling that grief. Well, a lot of, I mean, I would even have roommates kind of say like, Jay, why did you have diet pills in your bathroom? Like, why are you taking so many diet pills? Like, you're not out of shape. Like, what do you, you don't need those. And I would kind of just backlash and be like, why were you looking through my things? You know, instead of actually answering the question or, you know, friends and neighbors would express concern like, hey, you're getting really thin. And I was like, thank you. You know, I thought it was a compliment and they were actually very concerned. All that to say, you know, for a long time, it kind of got better after the half marathon and I slowly improved. It became a little bit less extreme. Um, but I, I never talked about it. I was like, well, I just didn't want to admit that I had a problem. Like it got to the point where it was beyond just setting a goal. It was actually obsessing over a goal and really harming myself in the process. But because I'm such an achiever, because I want to be the leader, because I want to be perceived a certain way, I was like, I'm good. Like I never even talk about it. It's gotten a little bit better. And for a couple of years, I just kind of lived with that. It's like a hidden story in my life, like a skeleton in the closet. I don't struggle with that. Toward the end of my school, you know, as I was starting my small business and going kind of pursuing the next phase of life, 
I started to become friends with a gal and she had started to open up with, to me about a very similar struggle. She had gone through a different, different, you know, details, but very similar kind of ultimate core problem. And for the first time I actually opened up about it really kind of just openly. And I realized how powerful sharing something is, you know, like I had had a personal encounter. I feel like that I had never really experienced with the Lord, whether, you know, you're a believer or not, that was really powerful for me. And then just a couple months later, my friend starts talking about it. So it really made me realize like, I really do need to open up. I think there really is power in sharing, like bringing something to the light. And that principle has stayed with me several years now down the road, even in business, like there's been some bad business decisions I've made or some things I've gotten into or just in life where I kind of felt ashamed of that. Like I messed that up. Like I made a bad decision. I'm a bad business owner. I'm not good at this. And actually there's been times where I was tempted to kind of be like, we're never going to talk about it. My husband wanted to talk about it. Nope, we're good. You know? <laughs> and so yes. being willing to kind of go there and get to the root problems so that it doesn't happen again. And also just kind mm -hmm. of confess that and bring it to the light. Like there's a lot of healing in that, but it really squishes your pride. But it also, when you squish your pride, I think you squish your shame because pride makes you want to hold stuff in the dark. So that was a really big lesson for me early on. And it's really impacted the way I do business, the way I do relationships and really the way I live now. I love that. It's a, it's similar to what Brene Brown says about when you name yeah. your shame, then you take mm -hmm. away its power. I remember hearing her talk at a blogging conference way back in the day. And um, that had such a huge impact on me also. Like it was the first thing that kind of inspired me to even talk about my depression, which mm -hmm. before that had been kind of the same thing with you, like, like this hidden secret that I even my friends didn't know. And I could have never imagined share, sharing about that on, in a public forum and letting people know. And here I am all these years later. And hmm. I talk about it all the time, but I also know that it has like not only freed me from the shame about it, it has also helped so many people along the way. And I'm sure your story will have the same sort of impact. And every time, because every time you share stuff like that, it really does not only free yourself, but it frees other people too. Mm -hmm. Totally. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about perfectionism because I know that's something that you've also struggled with. And <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> it's something that so many people actually struggle with in, because we, you know, as part of my research for doing my book, Do It Scared, which just came out, um, we developed this whole assessment, the fear archetypes. I don't know if you had a chance to take the fear assessment yep. of my team. Oh, I should pull it you. up. Should did I you, pull it up? <laughs> did you? Oh yeah, pull it up. I did. We'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, let me see. <laughs> but the I was not shocked by the archetype. <laughs> you were not shocked? Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. Sorry. What were you saying? I was going to say the procrastinator archetype is the most common of all the seven archetypes. So was that your top one or have you moved no, past that No, I have. Okay. So mine was the people pleaser. That's what I have. Ah, yes. I can see that. And that I makes sense that. for a three, I think. But it says, um, yeah, it's the people pleaser. Your second full-time job is keeping up appearances. <laughs> Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So that's I why gotcha. that's why that was so hard for me to share that I struggled with a problem and like stroke, you know. So yeah, and I actually totally. I've learned the difference between um speaking into the shame and also being kind of appearance conscious. Do you know the difference between transparency and vulnerability? Have you ever heard it like described? Uh-uh. It is so interesting because for so long people would comment online because I would open up about stories or like cystic acne or like things like that, challenges I was going through. And put it into an organized thought, like a paragraph or a caption or whatever. And people would say, oh my gosh, you're so vulnerable. 
Meantime, meanwhile, my husband, who knows me very well, he's like, you know, you're really not very good at being vulnerable. And I'm like, there's a disconnect happening here. Well, what I realized was transparency is like you're standing in a box and you can see through the walls. It's like transparent walls. But vulnerability is actually shattering the box and letting someone else inside and allowing yourself to be helped without being able to repay them. And that's the part I stick at. So <laughs> being the people pleaser, uh, like, yes, like if it, if it helps you, I'll share my struggle and you can see it through the, through the glass. But actually allowing myself to be helped and allowing myself to need someone else, totally different story. So it's just interesting that really kind of aligns, I think, with that. Ooh, that's a really good that's a really good distinction to make. And I've never really thought about that before. It said fifty-four percent match for the fifth third. Oh. Okay. So you're doing good. Fifty-four is not overly high. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yep, it's pretty accurate, honestly. And then it says, um, <laughs> at, the at a glance is indecision, lack of boundaries, emotional intelligence, and kindness. Interesting. I could totally, I can totally see that. I could, <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> this is nifty. Did you, is this from your research? It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was part of our research for for the book. And we have these seven fear archetypes. But the number one archetype is actually per, the procrastinator archetype, which is okay really another word for per- perfectionist. So I was curious if you were the procrastinator archetype. But perfectionism is definitely a big, a big, big thing that so many people struggle with because that's the most common of all of our seven archetypes. It's like I believe 66% of people have it in their top three archetypes. Um, so definitely people talk about that all the time. But how have you moved past perfectionism in your own life? And moved past that need to be perfect? And what does that actually look like for you? Well, I think even being a people pleaser seems to make, it seems to really align in that regard. So it isn't something that I feel like I've moved past in that I no longer feel the need to be perfect. Like, I think I still feel the need to, maybe not perfect, but just like um, acceptable, you know, if that makes sense, like, okay, it's good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what I've found is I, I came up with this little phrase that really helps me through a lot of these things that we can get stuck in, specifically like perfectionism or imposter syndrome. I say incremental, implementable, imperfect action. And the reason for that is because especially as a perfectionist and especially as someone who's multi-passionate, I can sometimes really second guess my ideas or I can feel really stuck because I'm like, well, I don't want to do it if it's not going to be done really, really awesome. And I don't really know how to make it done really, really awesome. So maybe I just shouldn't do it. Right. So And then on the flip side, I also hear a lot online, like, again, remember how I was sharing kind of my unique angle. I felt like I was getting a lot of like, take massive action. That was like the encouragement that seemed to be like the common thread. And I'm here for it. Like, I'm very much an action taker. But when my perfectionism creeps up, that doesn't seem very possible. And then I just don't do anything. So I'm like, "Hmm, maybe if we can't take massive action, we can take incremental, which is super small steps, something implementable. Like I went back to my Etsy store days. And I was like, I wasn't doing that because I decided I wanted to go have some big business someday or write books one day. I just did it because it brought me life. And so there wasn't the pressure to create some perfect thing. I was like, I can take an incremental or small step and go to Hobby Lobby because, and I can spend $10 on a canvas because that was something I could actually implement in that season, given my circumstances and finances and life. Um, and I can just take imperfect action. I can just share it with a sorority sister who might have her sister buy it. Like really, really small. Like you compare that to now where I'm at about five years later, it's like, what? You know, but it all started with a very incremental action step. So I try to keep that principle very um, close <laughs> because I mean, I feel that like, oh, like, yeah. I don't want to create that new course because like, what if it's not as good as X or, you know, so-and-so's or whatever? It's like, okay, maybe instead of thinking about the end, like I need to think about the end goal of what I want to achieve for somebody. But then instead of thinking about all the marketing and all the comparison and all the things so that it's perfect, 
I'm going to say, what's one incremental implementable action or what's one incremental imperfect action step I can implement today. And what I can do is I can open Canva and I can put some stuff on it or I can just make an outline and really breaking it down like that, I think kind of takes the fear of climbing the whole mountain and then climbing the whole mountain perfectly, <laughs> kind of the both yeah. those things. It kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. And I'm like, okay. I think it's it helps you tackle it piece by piece and still that. move forward and take action. Does that make sense? I love that. Yeah, totally. I love it. So incremental, imperfect, Im- implementable. Those three things. Yes. Yep. That you can implement those three today. things. That I, yep. Yep. Exactly. I love it. That's awesome. That is like really, really good actionable advice. Advice. I feel like that needs to be a hand lettered picture on your wall. <laughs> Maybe we'll make it a journal or something at some point. Yeah, you need to (laughs) make it something. It's really kind of my mantra. Yes, right. Well, it's kind of a mantra just because it's like, you know, thinking about it in that way and breaking it down, I have to check all of those boxes, right? And so it's almost like a mental checklist when I'm doing something or wanting to do something or needing to do something or get the manuscript in or whatever it is. It's like, okay, you know, you can kind of break down the whole big mountain into these little bite-sized pieces and really look at what can I truly implement with what I have today. And then I'll be able to build off that tomorrow. And I'll be able to implement even more because I'm going to be another step ahead. So it's just kind of a mindset shift, but also a way to really check your actions. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, one of the things that I say all the time is that action is the antidote to fear. And that's a little bit kind of mm-hmm. the same thing. Like yep. if, you're, if you're scared of making a mistake, if perfectionism is holding you back, you're afraid to move forward – what is the tiny little step that you can take right now? I, so mm-hmm. I just, it's just another way of saying it. I love it so much. So, so speaking of fear, what is, we talk a lot about fear on this podcast, as I'm sure you can imagine, it's called <laughs> Do It Scared. Um, what is it. something that has really scared you either in your life or in your business and how have you moved past that fear? Um, there's a variety of different things, but most recently, and I think the most relevant even to our conversation was launching a book, um, and putting a book out into the world. And my friend described it. He's like, yeah, I feel like launching a book or maybe writing a song or something is kind of like, here's my heart, please don't squash it, you know, and you give it to thousands of people to potentially squash. And I'm like, that's very accurate. So yeah, that is exactly how I have described it in the past. Yes. I feel like that is, and, and it's funny too, because People say, well, you, you're a blogger. You write stuff all the time and you put stuff out there all the time. Isn't it the same thing? It is not the same thing. For some reason, a book is, feels totally different and it does not go away. It doesn't like, matter how many books you've read. You put it out there, this baby that you work so hard on it. And you're like, here, walk all over it. Yeah. Squash well, them. I think that's the thing about <laughs> Don't watch for the one-star reviews on Amazon. Right. Well, I think <laughs> – I know. Well, I think the book thing too, it's like one of those things that's like kind of leaving a legacy. Like it outlives you in so many ways. And so there is that little bit – not even so added pressure, but a little bit of that added pressure with that. And it's so timeless, I think, more so like a blog. It's like you can just unpublish your URL and it's gone, you know. Um, so there's that element yeah. of like vulnerability and way more time and upfront investment goes into a book than does a blog. Even if you've researched for a couple of days on a blog post, it's not nearly the production of what you put into a book. So you feel like you've poured two years of your life or a year and a half of your life into something like that. And for me, doing it the first time, I had no idea what to expect. I was like, what if this doesn't go well? You know, And it went way better than I could have imagined, which is generally the story when we fear something, right? Um, <laughs> but you know, scary kind of like leading up to it. It was like, it's almost like the best way I could compare it. I was talking with a friend who at the same time, her due date, she actually is my staff member. Um, her due date for her baby was like the same couple, like, 
within six or eight weeks of my book launch. So we were kind of like going into this and I was like, what are you most afraid of? Like giving birth or having a human that you now have to raise <laughs> when you bring the baby home? And she's like, I think it's the after the birth. Like the birth is like, you know, there's the anxiety of just the unknown, but it's really like learning how to become a mom that scares me. And I was like, she goes, how do you feel with your book, baby? And I was like, honestly, it is kind of the same thing. Like the initial launch days, it really so much what scares me. It's all that's going to come after that, that feels so unknown. And like, that's when I'll get feedback, you know? And anyway, so it was just interesting yes. to compare it that way. It was very like, it's vulnerable in some ways. So it's a really good comparison actually, to, because that's kind of what it feels like. You're birthing this thing that you've worked mm -hmm. so hard on and you don't know, and then you're putting it out there and you don't know how it's going to be received or responded. And yeah, it's, mm. I get it. It's totally scary. So <laughs> As someone with a successful online business, what is the most common mistake that you see new business owners making? Um, and what advice would you give to somebody who's just starting out? I think one of the biggest mistakes, at least in the online space, um, two things specifically that come to mind is one, a lack of flexibility. Like I think sometimes we can have this idea that I'm going to have an Etsy shop that sells mugs and then when that doesn't work, we feel like we have to get up rather than being like, hmm, how can I be flexible and maybe like try stationary or try something completely different? Like that wasn't in my plans. Like if I had held so tightly to what I thought I was going to be doing, I would not have a book out. We would not have a conversation. I'd probably still be shipping mugs out of my closet, you know? So the, the willingness <laughs> to like evolve even somewhat early on is huge. I think the second thing specifically online is I see people um, striving for quick cash, like not valuing themselves enough to really kind of actually gain the expertise it takes to establish themselves as an elite, because that was the mistake I made. And I also see this, especially with this like influencer phenomenon, like everybody wants to grow up and be an influencer. And I'm like, honey, don't you realize like, that's probably not going to be a thing when you grow up. Like, and even <laughs> if it is, it's going to look very different. So let's just have like, this is a very interesting life and season that we all live in. And I think a lot of people just want to do that because if they can just score a brand deal or if they can just get some extra, you know, a quick client or whatever, they kind of settle for maybe something that truly isn't aligned with their brand or where they want to go or what they have potential to do. And they kind of shoot themselves in the foot too early, just trying, trying to strive for that quick cash, that quick win, rather than really thinking strategically for the long haul, even if that means a little bit of sacrifice up front or having to do some things for free up front to get those results, to get that expertise um, or to build that product. It takes time. Like the book taught me more than anything because I'm a pretty quick mover is that good art and good work takes time. That doesn't mean it needs to take two years per se, but I think the patience in our instantaneous culture is kind of fading. And so I just really want to speak that back into anyone who's starting because I know it can be so tempting that very first person who's like, want to collaborate? I'll send you my like super scammy thing and like share it with your audience and I'm going to pay you a hundred bucks, everyone, you know, or this person who like basically wants you to do this awesome, crazy project for next to nothing. It's like, yes, there's an element of hustle and there's an element of like earning your keep. But I think we kind of undervalue ourselves or undercut our own brands and businesses, just trying to strive for that quick win. Mm -hmm. and we miss out sometimes on what we really could be doing. Yeah. It's kind of a slow burn at first. I love that. That's really good advice. Mm -hmm. So turning mm -hmm. it a little bit on yourself, what is one of the hardest business lessons that you've had to learn? Either a mistake that you've made or just the time, like a time somebody else treated you badly, what happened mm -hmm. and how did you fix it? Or what did you learn from it? Um, gosh, there's been so many. It's like, <laughs> which one should I pick? Um, you know, I would say one thing is trying to create too many things too fast because I've been let down. Like, I've misserved my audience. Like, there's been times where I was just on an achievement high and I had all these ideas and I kind of just implemented all of them. Like, I took imperfect action, but it was like imperfect action. Okay. Like, it was bad <laughs> action. It was like not well thought out, 
not well discerned. And then suddenly I had like eight ships floating and I wasn't sure which one to keep floating, but I couldn't keep them all because I didn't have enough capacity for that. And so, you know, learning to be like having to kind of own that, be like, Hey guys, sorry, I can't steward this anymore. I'm going to have to end this program or not have to like, you know, pivot or whatever. That's a hard thing to have to go do to people who have just given you money or who have just like invested in something you've created or who are really excited about it. I was like, okay, lesson learned. <laughs> Don't move so hastily. It's not that you can't take action, but I almost like moved too hastily. And it's interesting because that's the opposite of a perfectionist. So it's like, how do you struggle with perfectionism? What I have found is normally what I do is I'll take action relatively quickly. But then I really overthink and I'm like, oh my gosh, it wasn't done perfectly. We need to pull it. So my perfectionism sometimes comes up afterwards and it actually really harms what I've already created. It's kind of weird. I'm like, it's a different way that we don't normally talk about perfectionism. But anyways, um, so all that to say, you know, learning to be a little bit, it's okay to grow slow and it's actually more sustainable because I think being online, you're often told like these certain revenue benchmarks you should hit. And like, that's what we often see as a successful business. I was like, okay, cool. We're in year three. We got to strive for that. And I did and I hustled and achieved a lot of things, but I ended up being stuck with a business where like 60% of it I wasn't happy with that I didn't even really feel like fit me very well. And so I had to start kind of pruning and we've still been in a pruning season of like, okay, you know, and I've learned it's okay to make less to ultimately do more um, from that, you know, and I feel like failure, James Wedmore, I've said that um, failure is really not failure. It's like you either get the outcome you wanted or the lesson you needed. And so it kind of feels like a failure. Like I let my tribe down. I did too many things. I stressed myself out, but what I really learned was the power of really being intentional and being okay with growing slow rather than feeling like you just have to make some big success overnight. I love that. It's a really important lesson. I feel like that's one that I'm still learning. <laughs> still learning. Yeah. I tend to do Especially too many as things Especially an achiever too. when you yeah. love your business, it's so hard. Yeah. Not you get like, oh, so excited about projects. all the things and you want to do all the things. And I definitely, I, I now I'm kind of at a point where I'm like, okay, what can I, what can I take off or sunset mm-hmm. out of um, gracefully for sure? So <laughs> um, last couple questions. First of all, what are you working on right now that has you super fired up. So I am working on some new coaching programs that really align with the book, both for kind of the everyday woman and for the entrepreneur. So I'm really excited about those. And my husband and I are actually really dreaming up a resource. I can't really give a lot of details yet, but we are dreaming up a resource because, or kind of a, we're kind of creating a parent company with this as part of it, because when we started working together, he left his corporate job. He played in the NFL for a little while. Then he tried to get back into the NFL. Then he worked in medical device sales for little over two years. And then just this past January or February, he started working with me full time. And as we were thinking about working together and really just kind of running with this hand in hand, we were like, there's not like we have a lot of friends that work together, but there was no resources for like entrepreneurial couples. And we were like, hmm, that's kind of a unique space. And so we're going to we really want to try to do some stuff with that. So that's kind of the next thing in the next year or so, in addition to what I'm doing around the book that we're really excited about. because It's different. I feel like no one's really talking about that. Yeah. And so we're kind of owning that space and owning that market and getting a little bit of stuff out there. It's just going to start really small, but something we really feel passionate about because it's such an opportunity now. And so many more people are doing it between all the network marketing mm-hmm. companies and all the you know women who are selling oils or all the women who are influencers or all the women who have online businesses or men who have online businesses and their spouse somehow has a role in that, even if they have their career or whatever. So it's like, this needs to be talked about. So yeah, for sure. And I know a lot of people and it's been really interesting to watch that happened. I have so many friends who have had their husbands come and work with their business and mm-hmm. sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. work out. And sometimes it gets, you know, like there's, there's just all these different stories, but I, I do feel like there's not a lot of resources for how to navigate that. Even a lot of resources for how to navigate as a woman who mm-hmm. 
makes like my husband does not work in the business, but he he is a, the stay at home dad for our kids. Mm-hmm. And because because my business took off, he came home to to be home with the kids. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of resources for that either. Of just yep. like, what do you do when she makes more? How do you navigate that with mm-hmm. with the relationship? That's Well, I think that's the thing. Like, even if you're not necessarily both building the business, like you have a family business, right? It's for the family and everyone Mm -hmm. has a part to play to some degree, whether even if that's just his role is watching and being with the kids. And so again, it's that same like new dynamic of like, I feel like family business is kind of coming back in a new way with the internet. And there's different ways that you don't have so much the traditional setup. And so we were like, hmm, this is kind of a unique space to speak into. And there's all different dynamics as to how it works, whether like my parents, both of them have their own businesses but yet they're both family businesses, you know? So it's like, there's different ways that I yeah. can work, but I think it's a space that really is yeah. working into all that intentionally. So. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Okay. Last question. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received and why? Oh man. I don't know if I can pick a best, but one that, um, one piece <laughs> of wisdom, um, that was recently shared with me not too long ago. I actually wrote it in the book. It was shared with me about a year or so ago, um, was that the hardest le- or the most important lessons are often the hardest to learn. And I feel like that is kind of a piece of advice because it made me look at, like we were just talking about those failures or those things that really kind of sting and really kind of suck to go through. They're usually the most important things to learn. Like it really taught me invaluable lessons for business going forward. And I'm still in the first five, six years of business. Like that's still pretty early on in the grand scheme of things. I'm glad I learned that lesson now, even though it was so hard to learn. And that's the same thing goes for all the hard lessons I've learned, both out of in business and out of business in life and relationships and everything. So that was a really solid piece of wisdom that has really become advice and a lens to look through when I go through kind of one of those like, like even just the other day, I missed a live interview on TV. Like, how do you not show up to a live interview on TV? It was horrible. Um, I'm like, this makes me look horrible. Um, but basically, we just had a calendar glitch. Like my assistant <laughs> put it in and never transferred to my calendar. Oh, it only no. showed on hers. So I didn't even think about it. And I was like, came home from my workout. I was feeling great. I get a phone call and they're like, hey, you're going on live in six minutes. Where are you? And I was like, uh, <laughs> so, oh you know, gosh. anyway, lesson learned, we need a better calendar system, right? And it's going to help us for the long haul of our business. And we got it worked out, but that really stunk in the moment. So anyways, best piece of wisdom or advice I've received recently. I love that. That's a great one. So uh, final, final thoughts, parting thoughts. Is there anything else you want us to know? And then finally, where can we find you online? Yeah, honestly, the best thing I want to just share is just keep trying stuff. And whether that looks like trying a new product in your business or just finally hitting go on the website or, you know, whatever it is for you in this season, like just try it because the worst thing that's going to happen is it doesn't work out and you can try something else. So I just want to encourage that um, really kind of what you share is just do it scared. And you can find the book pretty much anywhere books are sold, Target, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, literally everywhere. Um, And I am on Instagram (laughs) as Jordan Lee Dooley. And that's where everything is linked as well. Awesome. Love it. Jordan, thank you so much. This was awesome. And we will make sure that we link to all of those things in the show notes as well. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Ruth. Okay. So don't forget that if you would like to get all the show notes for this episode, along with all the links to everything we just talked about, you can find it all at doitscare.com slash episode 67. Once again, get all the show notes and the links on our website at doitscare.com slash episode 67. And then before we go, I just want to say, as always, that I love hearing from you. So if you have any questions about what we talked about today or any other questions that you want to ask me or any topics that you would like to see addressed here on the podcast, any guests you would like to see interviewed, please, please feel free to reach out 
either via email or just by messaging me on Instagram. Don't forget that today's episode was brought to you by the Living Well Planner, the practical tool designed to not just organize your time, but to proactively identify your biggest goals and then stay focused on them all month long. It doesn't just help you get more done. It helps you get the most important stuff done. And that is ultimately what doing it scared is all about. Be sure to take advantage of our lowest price of the year on the Living Well Planner during our semi-annual sale, which is happening right now at livingwellplanner.com. And that about does it for this episode of the Do It Scared with Ruth Zuka podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes or better yet, share this episode on your Insta story and tag me to let me know. If I repost your story, we will send you a Do It Scared t-shirt just for fun. Also, be sure to subscribe either on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to be notified of new episodes. And speaking of upcoming episodes, be sure to join me next week as we continue our Summer of Courage stories by talking with one of my very, very, very favorite people in the entire world, Hal Elrod. Hal is the author of The Miracle Morning, and you may remember him from episode 24, which was hands down one of our most popular episodes ever. And I am so, so excited to have him back to talk about his new book, The Miracle Equation. And guys, I am not even kidding when I tell you that this episode is going to blow you away. And I will catch you then. 